Thank you. You know something? Um, let's start and see what we've got. I'm talking about stuff today, just stuff. You know, any stuff you like. And uh, I've been at... And, uh, hey, welcome everybody um, at Rob's place. And welcome everybody at 999 The Hub. And welcome all those people over in the Chatham Islands. <laughs> Whoa, and everybody else who's, who's, uh, who's watching. Now I've lost my... But one of the things that really struck me to, this morning is this. I've had two weeks at the Hub, followed by a week without church. And I'm hanging out to worship. So I was just so pleased to be able to get here and be here. And I just want to say, I was just hanging out to be with other Christians. It's, it's, it's one of the great blessings that God gives us. But I want to talk about stuff. I, um, when Andrew, Andre said to me that I was preaching, I said, possibly it's about conflict, Andre. But really it's about stuff that happens that gets to us and how we should deal with it. Because I've been watching what's been going on in society and here and in church. And I realize that the changes that are taking place, and we're not making, we're not driving these changes. These changes are, are part of what's going on in society. And it's uncomfortable, isn't it? And <clears throat> a lot of us don't know how to handle it. And I, I actually want to use a discipleship thing that Jesus shows us how to handle things. And into um, that end, um, I want to tell you a little bit of my own life. Uh, some years ago, I spent a lot of time in John's Gospel, particularly chapter 8. And uh, one of the things I learned was that I tell myself lies. And I tell myself more lies than I tell anyone else. I try to be very honest with other people, but I deceive myself. And as a pastor, I realized that most people are the same. And when we do this, we have to let the truth of God come in. <clears throat> At my daughter's housewarming last night, and she's a clinical psychologist, and they were joking that a fellow who had been with her as a client said to her at the end, he said, you know, one of the things I've learned about myself is this, that everybody is a dick at some stage of their life. <laughs> and everybody else was teasing my daughter about the fact, and you charged him all that money <laughs> for him to learn that. <laughs> and so I chipped in and I said, you know something? We tell ourselves lies and sometimes we have to discover that we are 
sometimes not the best. Sometimes we've got to find out for ourselves and it takes a very loving person to help us find out because argument never does. And so when I was thinking about these things, I was thinking about Jesus and how Jesus deals with stuff. We've got to follow the thinking from above. There's a passage that goes like this. Jesus said in John chapter 8, You are from below. I am from above. You are of this world, but I do not belong to this world. That's 8.23. And he is talking about the people who were antagonistic to him. They were angry with him. And There is a heavenly way of looking at stuff. A godly way that looks for solutions. And doesn't look for argument or blame or other things. And it is this thing that Jesus does right throughout the Gospels that is so transforming. And it is very good for us in the current climate. You see, in John 1.14, we get that mighty verse that says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And grace and truth are the two things that will navigate us through the difficulties that we face. Everything that Jesus did in John's gospel is grace and truth. Indeed, he confronts our lies with grace and healing and solves our stuff. And uh, one of the other things that I discovered is this. Everything that Jesus does helps people. Everything that Jesus does helps people. So... I want to begin with this fellow, Nicodemus. Jesus, Nicodemus came to Jesus. Now, Nicodemus, you need a bit of background about him because Nicodemus was the head rabbi, teacher, in all of Israel. He was the boss. And he comes to Jesus and he says... You could not work these miracles unless God was with you. And Jesus replied, I tell you for certain that you must be born from above before you can see God's kingdom. You must be born again. Now, I want to tell you something. You can just hear Nicodemus saying, you could not work these miracles unless God were with you. But I would like to talk to you about And Jesus does not get into theology. Jesus gets into commitment. Now, being born again of water and the Spirit, as in in John chapter 3, the next verse or two verses on, is the same as repent for the kingdom of heaven is close to you. So it's the same as in the other Gospels. That's a little bit of teaching for those who want to learn and grow their their thinking. 
And Jesus is saying this. Your heart has got to change towards me, to God. And you have to have my presence in your life through the Holy Spirit in order to be in God's kingdom. What happens to us? Well, we have arguments. Do you know, nobody ever solved a problem with theology. There's no record of it in the Bible at all. But people time and time again solved problems by prayer. They solved problems by commitment. They solved problems by forgiving and by loving. And so the first thing that we've got to learn is that quite often when somebody is really troubled and they've got a gripe, that as Christians... We don't have to answer their mental questions all the time. We've got to wait on the Holy Spirit to answer the spiritual issues that people face. And sometimes we can't do that. And sometimes we just have to pray. But Nicodemus is a sign to us that these problems are not solved by having just a good discussion. Some of them aren't solvable that way because people can't deal with it now here comes the woman at the well and the woman at the well quite bluntly was a piece of work (laughs) because she'd had five husbands and there's one thing for sure if you've had five husbands she didn't really need to look anywhere else except herself for her problems that's harsh but it's true and Jesus was so gentle with her. But when she started to mock him, and this is mocking, sir, give me this water so that I won't have to be thirsty and keep coming here to draw water. Ha! Go get your husband. This is a thing called discernment. We need to learn how to discern what is going on. Because what people say is often not what they are thinking. And as Christians, often we buy into their arguments and their difficulties. And we find ourselves buried in their mess. Now, I know this is a hard thing to say. But Jesus understood that. Because later on he said, look, dear, I know you haven't got a husband. It's true. You've had five. Those incisive times, how do we deal with it when this happens? We've got to pray. We only have the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't, we can't do this on our own. Because if we do it on our own, we get into trouble. Now, I've had more years of counselling than I want to think about and I know that the healing comes when we listen and ask God to discern what is going on because what happens in life 
is often not what we see. So we need, and the key words here is, those, God is looking for worshippers who worship in spirit and in truth. And the great thing for us to discover is what is true about me with God and what the Holy Spirit is asking me to do. And these are conscious things that you can do. And and the next one, because we're not talking about the details about any of these things, is the official son and the man beside the well for 38 years. We're all equal under God. There are two stories there. The first story is that the official comes along to Jesus and he is a royal official and he says, Jesus, he said, my son is sick. Come and heal him. Come, come now. And Jesus said, you go home. He'll get better. <laughs> and the next thing straight after that is he comes to a pool of Bethesda and uh, there's a man lying there and he says, how long have you been here? And he said, 38 years. He said, get up and go home. <laughs> it doesn't matter whether the people that we're with are the high and the mighty or the dregs of society. Jesus treats us all the same. And we have got to treat other people with that same respect no matter who they are as Christians when we do that people will respect us you see I guess what I'm trying to say today is this is what would Jesus do follow him And we were going to have a series about discipleship. And this is actually about discipleship. But it's also about how you deal with the stuff that comes along. Because they're all different kinds of stuff. My brothers, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord of glory with partiality. James 2.1. He goes on to talk about in James. He says, there are people who are poor, treat them well. There are people who are rich, don't give them special treatment. And we've got to understand that. There are some people that we think are more important than others, but everybody and their opinion is important. And we have to listen, even if they're nutters. (laughs) Stop laughing. (laughs) The woman caught in adultery. This is more about her accusers than it is about her. And the question is, I can only actually deal with my sin. I can't deal with your sin for two reasons. For the first reason is this, is that you've got to deal with it because um, no matter what I say, it's going to make no difference. So if somebody's got troubles, you can't change it. And and what they were doing, they were quite venomous, these people. They were really horrible. Because they didn't care, right? They didn't care what happened to the woman, no matter what she was like. So Jesus actually heals them all. 
Well, thank you, Lord, for rain. I was told that I'd been praying for too much rain. <laughs> and um, Jesus heals them all. Imagine the man who thinks to himself, I'm going to get this, Jesus. And he walks away because he knows that he's not 100% right. What about the person who's the voyeur and wants to see something horrible happen to somebody? They walk away too. Jesus averts the horrible conclusion that earthly thinking is. You know, they asked him a question that was a bit like this. Have you stopped beating your mother? And if you answer yes, it means that you were beating her. If you answer no, it means that you're still beating her. <laughs> right? And that was the kind of question they asked Jesus. And so we, we've got to search under God for ways... <laughs> we've got to search under God for ways to, to, to find a solution that is actually helpful to everybody and not simply helpful to, uh, to win an argument. And, and Jesus' words here were, neither do I condemn you, go and leave your life of sin. And I put it in red because it is about forgiveness and love and it is about the way that we need to deal with stuff. The man born blind, these are all in John's Gospel by the way, Healing versus judgment. Do not play the blame game. Right? The disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that caused him to be blind? And Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned. Right at the moment, politically, and this is the only bit that I'm really going to talk about, what's going on, everyone is blaming everyone else. Okay? And there are people who are blaming others. And it's not necessarily just at all. And Jesus says, don't play the blame game. Sickness is not about your individual sin or someone else's individual sin. I'm going to call somebody out. Brother, come here. Yes, you. You're going to scatter your brother's ashes. Yes. It wasn't anybody's fault that he died, was it? No. Brings a tear to your eye, doesn't it? Yes. But I know you're strong enough, and I love you. I think so. <laughs> I think so this time. Yeah. Thanks. It's so important to understand that bad things do not happen always because of bad actions. We don't blame others. I knew I could do that with my brother. I know he's strong enough. And I know he loves me and I know he'll forgive me. <laughs> and um, we've got to understand that. There are no prizes in this world for blaming. 
there's another one that I'd forgotten to put in and I'm going to tell you about it. In John chapter 6, the only verse ever I have underlined, I think, in my Bible, and I did it when I was about 14, right? The disciples were in a boat and there was a storm and they were desperately afraid and Jesus comes walking on the water and what does he say? He said, it is I, do not be afraid. I underlined those words when I was 14. Fear drives hundreds of arguments. We've got to understand that people are afraid and they become their, their thinking becomes dislodged. It becomes wonky. Their thinking is not straight when they are afraid. And it is only the presence of Jesus that will actually bring peace. I have learnt in my great age, because I'm old, I've learnt this. That there's a lot of stuff in this world I cannot change. But God can change it. And I need to trust God at each step to change stuff. Stuff that I'm afraid of. Stuff that I'm wary of. I need to talk to God about. I cannot do it on my own. The last one is Lazarus and this is about our inability to believe in the best outcome Jesus said to her this is Martha I am the resurrection and the life the person who believes in me even though he dies will live indeed everyone who lives and believes in me will never die do you believe that and she said yes I I do but I don't believe that Lazarus is going to rise from the dead right now but he'll rise at the last resurrection. And Jesus said, well, you just believe. And, and before that, Jesus told the disciples plainly, I should have put them around the other way, um, Lazarus has died. For your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. Let's go to him. And straight after that, Thomas says, let's all go and die with him. There is a level at which we become despondent and lack belief that God can change things. It gets to us and, and we, we don't believe the possibility of a miracle. And I'm going to tell you now a story that I've told before. I was preaching at a mission and at that mission it was the healing service. And up the aisle of the church comes this man and he has two sticks and he has two people helping him. And his baggy trousers, he was old, like me, and his knees were all swollen. And he would, it took him a long time to come up the aisle. And as he came up the aisle, in my mind, I had this terrible, unbelieving joke that I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> And I felt so ashamed of myself. It was in the Anglican church, so I turned to the communion table and I knelt. And I said, God, forgive me 
for my sin of unbelief. And I prayed with God for some time and then I prayed, God, give me a gift of faith. When I got up, I completely lost it and asked him to kneel. And he looked at me and said, if I'm not healed, I'll never get up. And he knelt. And we prayed for him. And when I prayed for him, I prayed that God would heal his spine too. And he got up, gathered his sticks under his arm and walked out, healed. Later that day, he said to me, how did you know about my spine? I said, I didn't. He said, that morning, just before I came to that service, I went to the specialist and he told me I had cancer of the spine. And he was healed. I didn't know. But I learned a lesson, a very important lesson, that when my belief, my faith is, is down at the bottom, that I can still go to God and God can still use me and he can use you because I want to tell you something there is no difference between you and me in God's sight God can use any person in this room to work miracles to heal arguments to change lives now I believe that the church is going through a huge turmoil because of, at the moment because of COVID, but not only that, because of lots of things that the government is putting through, lots of things that are happening socially right throughout the world. And our new normal may not be the same as it has been for the last 20 years. I think we have to face that these changes are taking place. We don't know what they are or what they will be. But we can choose to fight against the changes or we can choose to ask God the Holy Spirit to provide new ways and new solutions this is what I believe the whole church needs. It's like it was a whole a watershed time in the life of the church in the Western world. Not just New Zealand, it's, it's everywhere. And I think we have to go right back to the first principles. The principles of Jesus that say this. Do it by prayer. Do it by the power of the Spirit. And not in your own strength. In some way I believe that what I'm saying today is of huge importance. I haven't said it as well as I'd like to. But I think... The changes that are going on in society are such that we, the church, 
have got to actually go right back to first principles. The principle of the the of Christ first. The Holy Spirit in our lives. Prayer. Love. Forgiveness. Healing. This I think is our charter. You know something else? There are five cornerstones. And they are oh, huh? the presence of God. Amazing. That's what we're talking about. The next one is huh? community. The next one is relationship. The next huh? authenticity and growth. Now these are things that we as a church have said are ours. And I would like to say what I'm saying today endorses every part of that. So bless you. I don't need to do that last bit. Oh yes. I'll just leave that up. Thank you, brother. Thank you, Warren.